Forget frequently asked questions, common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond and become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in fields such as sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Get ready. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius Podcast Series. I have Carolina Sukmaji. Um, she's a senior research officer um, working on prostate cancer, the biology of it. Um, she's had a long history in research. She started training in Japan uh, after being accepted into the Panasonic Scholarship Program. And she got a master's degree at Kyoto University on protein structure, then moved to Australia, where she completed a PhD at the uh, University of Melbourne. And the PhD was about the mechanism of exocytosis and endocytosis of synaptic vesicles. So, Carolina, thanks for coming. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Richard. Yeah. Well, tell me about your current research. What's, uh, what's it about? Yeah, so I'm working on the extracellular vesicles. I think there are a few podcasts uh, already about uh, extracellular vesicles. It's the uh, vesicles that are secreted by the cells. And I'm personally interested into uh, the development of extracellular vesicle-based uh, personalized therapy in prostate cancer and other cancer. So uh, I've been working in prostate cancer for a while. And uh, during my study, we discovered that the extracellular vesicles can actually induce the cell proliferation and survival when prostate cancer cells are under growth uh, without androgens. So maybe if you know a little bit uh, about the androgens and prostate cancer is that um, the androgens is... Uh, oh, you mean when you're uh, testosterone... That's so correct. Like testosterone yeah. is chronically low. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, the androgen deprivation therapy, uh, which is actually developed uh, in 1940s, the ideas that came up at 1940s and still uh, is the most um, preferential um, strategy for prostate cancer in the clinics, is that when people realize that um, if we limit the availability of androgens or the uh, testosterone and so on, uh, we can actually inhibit the development or the growth of prostate cancer. So, yeah, I thought uh, that, um, hmm. Caroline, a quick question here. I yeah. thought that it was um, chronically low testosterone that promoted prostate cancer. Are you saying this therapy would seek to take away all testosterone and that would stop the cancer? Um, yeah, well, the androgen deprivation therapy has a various different strategy. Either uh, they inhibit uh, the androgen receptor itself, which is the nuclear receptor that binds to the androgens and drive the gene proliferations, uh, gene for proliferations, I mean, limit the availability of androgen in the body by uh, inhibiting uh, the secretion of androgens in the body. So uh, that is the original and still the techniques that are being used in the clinic so far. Well, when we started to look into the extracellular vesicles and we realized that a subtype of uh, extracellular vesicles can actually uh, increase 
the proliferation of prostate cancer cells. That's that's actually one of the main my main questions personally is with to what extent and how how much is the influence of the extracellular vesicles to help the growth of prostate cancer when there are no androgens. And um, um, we know that uh, a lot of patients um, responded quite well with the ADT, but there are some which are not responded very well. And even though there is a reduce in the um, biomarker for tumor growth, the prostate-specific antigen or the PSA. A question here, um, I've, I've read that um, the prostate releases prostosomes which are like EVs that end up, you know, being coupled with sperm or they mm. contribute to the, to the, you know, to the seminal fluid. So is there a diagnostic by which you would get a, um, you know, like a sperm sample and based on the condition of the prostosomes, be able to tell the condition of the prostate? Uh, yeah, uh, that is also part of it. Uh, well, the prostosomes in what I believe is uh, different uh, vesicles than the small extracellular vesicles uh, that are being secreted by prostate cells. So the, the prostosomes is yeah known to be involved in the uh, fertility and so on. But what I'm particularly interested in is uh, small extracellular vesicles, which in the past people always mention it as an exosomes. But uh, I'd like to be more cautious about how we um, call these vesicles just because uh, even though um, in the in vitro studies, we know that the exosomes is coming from the multifascicular bodies and um, through the recycling endosomes and being, you know, expelled out. But uh, in terms of tissue or organs, um, how these vesicles is being secreted by process cells and get across uh, into um, the blood circulation is unclear. So um, I would try well, to call it, it extracellular vesicles at the moment. Right. It mm. seems like it's unclear uh, the biogenesis of EVs and also once they enter into a cell, where they go and what happens to them. I mean, have you, yeah. you, know, you studied the exoendocytosis of like at least the, when the cell membrane mm. buds off and produces them? You know, what did you learn yeah. there? Were you studying that? So uh, there are a few markers that uh, has been used in the past to um, say that a vesicle is an exosome, which is, you know, uh, CD9, CD63, TSG101, Alex, and so on. But what was interesting is, like, I noticed that there are differences between uh, these markers that, um, you know, is not equal among them. So that suggests that there are actually various or multiple groups of uh, small extracellular vesicles. And uh, that makes, makes uh, you know, um, the, the study is much more complicated because if we want to look into uh, the role of extracellular vesicles, I think it's really important to know which vesicles we are looking at. So um, again, from what I know, like some vesicles mm. come because the cell membrane buds off and then some come from the interior of the cell. So what, what is your research um, hoping to figure out about EVs in particular, like, again, the biogenesis of them in prostate mm. cells or yeah. the fate of them once so, they enter in? Yeah. So interestingly, if we uh, grow the cells in the presence and absence of uh, androgens, and uh, the one that are uh, different is the CD9 instead of the other vesicles. So uh, it looks like these CD9 enriched vesicles is the one that are 
um, secreted more uh, when the cells are treated with the androgens. And when we put back the CD9 uh, enriched fascicles into cells that grows without the androgen, we also observe an increase of proliferation that, that suggests that um, even in the small extracellular fascicles group, um, the CD9 positive enriched fascicles is the one that are uh, likely to be responsible um, for the response of cells to keep growing even without the androgens. So that's, that's bring a sort of informative um, point about um, why certain patients likely to respond to the ADT and um, why some didn't, why they can still have uh, prostate cancer that are grown, even though there is no androgen, would uh, the extracellular fascicles actually play a big role apart from the other things that we already know, like gene mutations, you know, and uh, all sorts. You know, what's weird, though, is, you know, throughout a man's life cycle, he's going to have very mm -hmm. high androgens in his teens and 20s and then less in his 30s and 40s. And, you know, so it, it, it appears that, I guess, prostate cancer appears to correlate with low levels, persistent low levels of androgens. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't it happen earlier if androgens uh, kind of correlate with uh, the spread of the cancer? It seems like a new regime has come into place where you know, the prostate's functioning in a different way now. And that's why the mm -hmm. presence of androgens make the cancer grow. It's just, it's odd, you know, it's, it seems counterintuitive. Yeah, uh, that is uh, actually a good point, yeah. So for some men who has a history of prostate cancer, um, they do develop or likely to develop uh, prostate cancer much earlier because they harbor that uh, mutation that are being passed from, uh, you know, their parents. But it is known that um, there's a lot of other factors where, um, you know, the cells itself uh, growing old. So then the cell cycle regulation, DNA replication, and so on, um, starting to get um, into a lot of problems. Or uh, also uh, the influence of lifestyles is also being discussed. But it seems like at some point, um, men will develop some issue in their prostate because of their, um, uh, because they're just getting old. It's just the way um, the life is. I don't, ideally, I guess the, the, if man wants to go through prostatectomy, they wouldn't need to worry about prostate cancer. But uh, we know that prostatectomies also have uh, possibly uh, side effects that uh, people or patients need to consider whether that is the right treatment options for them or not. Oh, what, what are the side effects of taking out your prostate? Similar to other um, risks for surgery. Uh, and additionally, um, there are some cases reported uh, where a patient might experience um, uh, erectile dysfunction or um, uncontrolled, like uh, con uncontrollably uh, passing urine, and that needs some sort of like uh, therapy to get them back into their normal uh, physiology. Um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of risk, which um, I don't think uh, all men consider it very lightly, you know? Mm. Okay, well, but back to, um, you know, the mm. androgen <clears throat> therapy. Um, mm. Of the, of the men that have prostate cancer, do they tend to have low testosterone at the same time, or is there no correlation between their 
their, you know, circulating testosterone levels in the presence of prostate cancer? Well, uh, there's some looking into the uh, circulating testosterones, but what we are looking at is uh, actually the correlations, how uh, the prostate-specific antigen, uh, which is like uh, being secreted by cells as the marker for tumor growth, so, um, yeah, sorry, probably I didn't really explain that very well. Hmm. I guess uh, it's not really what I'm uh, researching okay. right no. now. Yeah, and with, I just wonder I if there was to... that, uh, <laughs> I just wonder if there was that correlation, but, but like you said, yeah. um, in the absence of uh, pretty much all androgen, what happens to the cancer with, uh, with the therapy and, and when it works in people? Does it completely go away or does it just go dormant? Like what happens? Well, depending on uh, everybody is um, everybody is different. So uh, there's quite a lot of uh, cases where people responded very well. So the prostate cancer just go away after first uh, treatment. But there are a few that eventually um, has an increased prostate-specific antigen or PSA. And that suggests that there is a growth of uh, prostate tumor. And that's also... Um, held true in the advanced prostate cancer where prostate cancer is actually not in the prostate anymore, but uh, in different sides of the body that uh, they still have a high uh, PSA in their blood. Okay, so what is it about the, um, the EV specifically that you're looking to figure out, you know, in the case of prostate cancer? Yeah, so uh, again, um, yeah, so for the extracellular vesicles, uh, we are looking into how this EV is actually playing a role in the proliferation and survival of prostate cancer. So, uh, you know, uh, by inhibiting of the androgens, uh, we know that the uh, prostate cancer gets, uh, uh, well, they could uh, either go, go to cell death or they're uh, going into cell senescence. Um, however, um, there are some which are grow back so we are looking into the role of the extracellular vesicles in this process, whether they are uh, playing a role in this um, prostate cancer cells to uh, grow back uh, despite the absence of androgens. Well, where does uh, prostate cancer tend to metastasize when it does? Yeah, so the prostate cancer tends to metastasize to bone. And uh, they also can be found in advanced cancer in other diseases, uh, in other organs like uh, uh, the liver or uh, the lung, but uh, the majority is in the bone. So uh, we are looking into how the bone uh, environment uh, or the extracellular vesicles derived from cells that are grown in the bone can influence the growth of prostate cancer as well. Yes, it seems like that the EVs you know, let's mm -hmm. say from prostate cancer will circulate and then they'll um, enter into the target cells, you mm, know, bone, that's true. Yeah. whatever yeah. it may be, and then change the, the expression of the bone cells so that now when they're circulating cancer cells, they'll be attracted to that area and take up mm -hmm. residence there and form a metastasis. So it, it seems like the exosomes are doing niche construction, early that niche is, construction. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, um, there's F some preclinical mouse model that shows that that indeed what happened that um, when process when uh, extracellular vesicles form uh, cancer cells is being um, introduced into the circulations they seems to harbor into certain sites and depending on the integrin profiles they can go to um, um, specific type of tissue or organs in our uh, study itself uh, we do look 
into uh, the integrin profiles, but we also uh, look into other sort of um, molecules that potentially play a role in that process. Perhaps there are some other things that are important. Okay. What do you feel like you're close to figuring out in regards to the EVs? What, what do you understand about them better than anyone else so far? Do you mm. feel like you're getting close to a, an understanding or a breakthrough in the next you know, few months or a year? Or is it going to be a long time, you think, before uh, there's more understanding of what's going on? Well, there are a few things that are quite interesting to follow it up, apart from the uh, potentially integrins uh, involvement, but also what subtype of vesicles that are playing a role in this process and whether they are the same vesicles that are involved in the proliferation, but uh, also, does it also uh, are they also involved in the metastasis process and probably a different type of vesicles. And um, the other thing that I'm looking at is uh, actually how to match the EV profile with the treatment that are being given to the patients. Because uh, we know that, you know, some patient doesn't respond and some patient responded. So we'd like to know whether we can uh, stratify this patient based on the extracellular vesicle profile in the blood samples. Well, I've, I've heard that uh, hmm. most, most tumors are very heterogeneous. So... If you fully understood all the clonal all the clonal lineages of mm. a given tumor, I wonder how the EVs differ amongst the different mutated cells or amongst the different clonal lineages. You yeah, know, I, I would think that that would make a huge difference depending on what mm. the tumor looks like. You know, and how yeah. heterogeneous, etc. Yeah, that is correct. So uh, we are looking to differentiate those. You know, based on um, the stage of the uh, prostate cancer. That's that's what we can do. That uh, we can look into the EV profile. But um, I know that uh, a lot of technology now trying to look into a single extracellular vesicles, which uh, we are getting there, but not quite there yet. And uh, it's really depending on the development of the technologies that we can all be able to understand this, because they are very small, and our available technology to um, analyze uh, protein, RNA, and lipid, they have limits, which uh, currently is hard to achieve by uh, analyzing a small amount of material that are available, you know, in a single extracellular vesicles. So at the current stage, what we can do is looking into the uh, type of uh, fingerprint type, you know, so it's sort of like a barcode coming from the profile of the proteins, the RNA and the lipid, potentially, whether we can um, do that and help to stratify this uh, prostate cancer and how individually people may respond to that. Very interesting. So, okay, so mm -hmm. what's the best way for people to learn more about your research and to get in touch with you? Well, uh, I have my profile available on Twitter in a link and also in the Institute website. So, uh, can send an email anytime. We are very interested to look into a treatment response in the 3D models and also looking into these molecules that are coming out from the uh, blood samples. So uh, anyone who's uh, interested to learn more about that, uh, we can uh, certainly have a chat. Mm. Okay, well, very good. Well, Carolina, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much, Richard, for having me. Forget frequently asked questions, common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice? 
from a real genius. 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond and become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in fields such as sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Get ready. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.